Hey, everybody, it's Joe Chicarone, and welcome to Built Not Born, episode 64. Today's guest is Jeffrey Gittimer. Jeffrey Gittimer is the best selling author who has written 15 books, including The Sales Bible and The Little Red Book of Selling which has sold more than 5 million copies and has been translated into more than 14 languages. Jeffrey's Little Red Book of Selling is the number one all-time best-selling book on the topic of sales. Jeffrey has given over 2,500 paid speeches and has worked with the likes of Apple, Comcast, Microsoft, the New York Yankees, Barnes & Noble, and Coca-Cola, just to name a few, to train up their sales teams. Jeffrey as someone whose work has impacted me personally. I discovered Jeffrey's work back in the day out of college when I went into radio sales. His work has helped me tremendously. I was so excited to get Jeffrey on the podcast. He is so entertaining. He's in your face. He's provocative. He calls you out. He's not afraid to be politically incorrect to make his point. And I hope you enjoy. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the follow button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with best-selling author Jeffrey Gittimer, the author of The Sales Bible, The Little Red Book of Selling, and the host of the Sell or Die podcast. And remember, life is built, not born. Jeffrey Gittimer. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Joey. It's so honored to have you, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? Born in West Palm Beach, but moved to Philadelphia metropolitan area, South Jersey, Atlantic City. When I was six weeks old, stayed there for the first 40 years or so. Sold in New York City, started my own businesses. Did not start to write until I moved to Charlotte in 1992. The day I started writing, my whole world changed. I went from an expert to an authority. But I cold called in Manhattan and made millions of dollars of sales from my own businesses, whether it was leisure furniture, imprinted sportswear, whatever. I'm a product of my own manufacturing stuff. And uh, I now reside in Charlotte, North Carolina, where it's civilized and fuck you is not a greeting. And uh, when they wave at you here in Charlotte, they use all their fingers. <laughs> Unlike um, on South Street, yeah. Exactly. So, but I'm I'm Philly. I'm Flyers, Eagles, Sixers, bleed Philadelphia, green. And the Phillies have disappointed me for 50 years. Now I'll make it 60. What's your most powerful memory growing up in Philadelphia? I went to Haddonfield Memorial High School and Temple University. So I'm genuine Philly. And every morning, I would drive across the Benjamin Franklin Bridge to go to school. And there's a big sign on the mission as you cross over in neon. It says, Jesus saves. And underneath of it, someone had spray painted, Moses invests. (laughs) And that's Philly. Jesus saves, but Moses invests. Perfect. That's a podcast on its own right there. That's a whole nother episode. Exactly. Uh, 
How about growing up? Who was your idol? When you were a child living in Philadelphia, who'd you look up to? Besides like family members who you always idolize, my athletic idols were Will Chamberlain, who I met in 1960 when he was with the Globetrotters, and he autographed a postcard. And I sent it to my mom, who saved it for 25 years, and I still have it. My baseball idol was Richie Ashburn and Richie Allen. Mm. I'm I had to, you know. So uh, my my football idols were Norm Van Brocklin when he played the one year and they won the championship. But Sonny Jurgensen was always my guy, and Tommy McDonald was mm. always my guy. Um, I mean, always, always my guy. Yeah. So you know, you look at that, and Clarkie, of course. For the Flyers, total idol. Uh, Dave Schultz, who I got to meet after the Stanley Cup, and we became friends. But nothing like the doctor. I mean, nothing, nothing like the doctor. So you just you take all the players in, in context, and you always had someone that you went to go see. But when I was at Temple, I went to every doubleheader at the Palestra. At 33 doubleheaders a year, I went to 33 doubleheaders for four years. The best of St. Joseph's years, the best of LaSalle years. It was just a wonderful time to be a sports fan in Philly in the 60s. And, you know, you watch players and you get into the games and you become a real Philly fanatic sports fan. And then you go to the Mummers Parade. And then, you go, you know, you do the Philadelphia things that nobody else understands. Mm -hmm. Jason Kelsey's speech after the Eagles won the Super Bowl at the parade is an all-time, all-time, all-time classic. And I have the speech autographed by Jason Kelsey. Awesome. Oh, uh, just phenomenal. And that's Philly. Yeah. So Philly. That speech, he's dressed as a mummer. He's got no voice. He's got like 10 beers in him. Oh, yeah. And he's just screaming at the crowd. And he could have ran for mayor and won in a landslide that day. Like, it's just. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. He would have, The other guy would have had no votes. He could have won for Jesus and had more votes. He would have been, he would have been Jesus if he ran for Jesus that day. It's so, so awesome. Exactly. I want to get into where I, I guess the point where I met you is in the 90s through your column, Sales Moves. So today, your sales platform, your books, your podcast, your courses, you are like the top of your game. Anyone that wants to learn how to sell, business development, connect, do stuff online, I couldn't find anyone better than you. You're, you are operating at such a high level, you and your wife, Jen. But let's go Joe, you're an excellent judge, first of all, <laughs> but thank you very much for your kind words. <laughs> But let's rewind. Let's do an autopsy all the way back. When's the first time did you ever remember, like, hey, I like to connect with other people and sell stuff? Growing up in New York City, that I sold candy bars door to door. I sold firecrackers when my parents brought me back some from Florida. Um, I was always a sales guy. But, but I didn't realize what selling was until I started my own business and realized that I was not just the founder. I was the chief sales guy. And there's two places you can sell. There's New York City and there's every place else. If you can sell in New York City, every place else becomes a piece of cake. And if you can't sell in New York City, get a job at Walmart 
their fucking greeter <laughs> because you, you're not going to be able to make it anywhere else. And people get into sales because, quote, they make a lot of, I, I'm going to get into sales, Joe, so I can make a lot of money. That's a bad reason to get into sales. Get into sales because you love what you do and the money will follow. If you love baseball, sell tickets to baseball games. You know, join the Phillies sales team. They, they got kids that they want to hire and do it on the basis of you love what you do. The passion will come out. Mm -hmm. If you don't love what you do, you're going to be mediocre and, you know, come home and kick your pet yeah. and drink a lot and watch Netflix like an idiot. Yeah, I want to get into that a little bit, where, where how you structure the, uh, your day and what you're, sometimes what not to do sets you up to succeed in life and sales. But you mentioned something a couple minutes ago mm -hmm. about writing leads to wealth. So my introduction to you, I was an accountant and there a point in the 90s, I may have been the worst public accountant in the state of Pennsylvania. If they had an award, I probably would have won it. Then I was working Perfect. somewhere- yeah, yeah perfect. That's why God invented calculators. Yeah. <laughs> I go into radio sales. So I'm in radio sales. And basically, I start at the bottom and no, just a little draw. Like there's, a, they basically handed me a phone book with no training. I was a bad accountant. I went into sales. I was like 25 years old. And I was like, I had no idea what I was doing. And I'm like, I'm going to basically be bankrupt. One guy pulled me aside and said, listen, you got to go to the Philly Business Journal. You'll see the companies coming and going and you'll find out people to call to prospect. But when I was doing that, I ran into this column. It was called Sales Moves, right? By this guy, Jeffrey Gittimer. And I read it. And it was like how to make an appointment on the phone. Then the next week, it was like good questions to ask on the first meeting. And I kept reading them. I started cutting them out. And then I didn't have a training binder. I'm like, you know what? I'd cut them out and photocopy them and I'd make my own binder. I put them in plastic sheets. And the next thing I know, about a year in, I had like 50 articles. I organized them. Here's the opening. Here's the objections. That's how you close. That's how you follow up. As your articles came up, my training manual got bigger and I got better and better and better. I just kept studying what you said and it was working like money. Then the next thing I know, this guy, Jeffrey, writes a book called, is it the Sales Bible? What was your first book? Yep. Yep. And sales I remember Bible it was. Sales Bible came out. I was like this thick. I'm like, done. Bought that in gold. And from there, bought every freaking book. And each one has plays a part in my game. When did you learn writing leads to wealth? Where did you first get that idea? Not only do I want to sell, but I want to write about it and teach others. Well, I started writing pretty much on accident in Charlotte when somebody wrote something about sales that was stupid. And I realized I was smarter than that guy. So I wanted to do, I went to the Charlotte Observer and they turned me down. And uh, I was already doing business with the Business Journal, and I met with the publisher, and he said, no problem. And because he knew me, he said, okay. He had never seen one example of my writing. And as I walked out the door, he goes, by the way, can you write? <laughs> I said, we'll see. And so my, on my first column, I made a sale to a consulting, to a company that wanted me to be a consultant. They gave me a $1,000 check as a retainer. First day, the column appeared in the paper. Wow. And I said, dude, I got something here. And Joe, I've done, in the last 20 some years, I've made 2,500 paid speeches and I never made a sales call. Wow. Everybody calls me. I didn't call you to book this gig. Mm -mm. No. I don't call anybody. 
I'm in sales and I make no sales calls. Is that cool or what? Very awesome. So the challenge is who values you enough to make that ask, to make that call. And, you know, we're doing a meeting and all I want to know is do they have enough budget to afford me? Mm-hmm. And that's the deal. And then, we, you know, I did deals during COVID. Mm-hmm. I did, I'm doing deals right now with people that want to have a speaker that understands sales and is not full of shit. I'm a little more guttural than I was when I started, mm-hmm. but I'm Philly. Fuck you as a greeting. <laughs> I've seen the, definitely seen the edge in your writing over the last couple of years. A little more, a little more in your face than you were maybe oh, yeah. 10 years ago, right? Is that fair? I, well, the older you get, the more permission you have to be yourself. And the more people will forgive you, oh, he's old. So I, I t- I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. But not only am I old, I've made millions of dollars in sales and they have not. Literally millions, not thousands. But in order to become a millionaire, first you have to become a thousandaire. Mm-hmm. And you see all these books about how to make a million dollars. They're bullshit. First, and you know this yourself, you work your ass off and day by day, mm-hmm. you become better. You don't right. get greater sales in a day. You get greater sales day by day. And that's the secret of the process. If you're not willing to dig in and be a student, you, you've lost it. Mm-hmm. You've totally lost it. Regarding the writing, you mentioned there's one thing, one maxim. I've heard you say this for, for a while. It's not who you know, it's who knows you. And then when you put your writing Correct. out into the world, you're the authority. They come to you. And that's like a 95% close, unless something's wrong with you. I mean, they come to you, right? Yeah, exactly. If somebody calls up and wants to buy and you can't make that sale, you have to go home. You have to, you have to call your mom, tell her you haven't risen to her standards yet, but you're trying. So I just create value messages and people call. It's like a miracle. The sales Bible, how long did that take you to write the sales Bible? I wrote it. I never wrote the book. I just wrote the column. You have yeah. the sales Bible in individual pages yep. put into your note binder. Okay. So I realized that I had a hundred, if I wrote a hundred columns, I'd have a book. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I never wrote a book. I just wrote a column. I consistently wrote 750 to a thousand words a week for a hundred weeks. And I won. Yep. Then it became more of a passion and doing more writing and more segmented writing. So I put the titles together for books that I wanted to write and then wrote around the titles. Attitude book, customer loyalty book, trust book, mm-hmm. you know, persuasion book. And I'm very good at thinking, writing, and observing. And I'm a student. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't watch television. I don't get drunk. I don't do the stupid things that people do that prevent them from becoming uber successful. I'm going to turn my machine around for just a minute. Yeah. I have a library and my library has 11,000 books. So I have reference here to be able to capture anything. It gives me new thought. I wake up in the morning. I read, I write, I prepare, and that causes me to think and create. That's what I do every day, every morning of every day. One of the habits I picked up from 
reading your stuff years ago is every day I wake up and I read a couple pages, not a lot, two, three pages from a, a really good yep. book. And yep. doing that for a while and it, it works. Holy crap. For you do it one or two days, it does nothing. You do it for a year, it changes your life. Yeah. I dedicate the first hour of the day to me. Okay. First hour. Now this morning, this morning I had a meeting with a customer at 730 in the morning in our home. I live in Charlotte. I cook people breakfast. It's kind of what I do. I'm known for it. So we have pancakes and real maple syrup and fresh fruit and orange juice and coffee at 7.30 in the morning. But I'm helping a guy write his book. So I have service right now where I help somebody write a book for a fee. And it works. So I didn't do my total morning routine yet this morning, but I'll be preparing when I hang up with you because I have a webinar to deliver tomorrow and I haven't made the first slide yet. Okay. Understood. So you get the sales Bible that comes out. At what point do you realize not only do I have a book in me, I got 18 books in me. Some people write that book and they promote that book for the next 20 years, but you just keep pumping them out. When did you decide, you know what, this is an ongoing process. I'm going to just keep cranking them out. Okay. So this is what I do do. I have an iPhone and I text myself ideas. And those ideas become written pieces of work. So I don't look at it as a book. I look at it as here are my ideas. Okay. I capture all my ideas. I never, quote, forget an idea. That's bullshit. I get an idea. I document it immediately. Mm -hmm. Too many people come up with an idea and then forget it. Yep. People don't act on them. That's so true made a list when I very first started to write my column of things that I could write about. And after the second column, I never looked at the list again. (laughs) I just kept coming up with ideas and, you know, my parents were smart and that made me smart. The sales Bible was my favorite until you wrote, I believe it's the number one selling sales book of all time. The little red book of selling. That book is that book Correct. is just money in the bank. If a company's looking for what kind of selling philosophy should we have? The Little Red Book, even though it was probably written more than a decade ago, right? When was that book written? It's it's almost 20 years old. Yeah, like 2004, maybe. I've never changed one word. And we're going to come out next year is the 20th anniversary of the book. We're going to call it the classic edition. And I'm adding about 20 pages, but only a full page quotes. Okay. And it'll sell till it'll sell till my kids are dead. Yeah. It starts off first chapter is kick your own ass. That's the title. Like that's the chapter. Right. right? It's just a kick in the teeth. And it's like, here we go. Let's go. And it's so real. It's so in your face. So you write that. Do you do the outline of the book first, or do you just start writing and see where it goes when you write a book like that? Nope. I, I write the table of contents first. Okay. And that tells me where to go. Gotcha. So table of and contents. And when my publisher gave me, I didn't come up with the idea. My publisher, Ray Bard, did. Okay. And we're sitting in a restaurant in Austin, Texas. And he goes, Harvey Pinnock wrote the Little Red Book of Golf. And I think if you wrote the Little Red Book of Selling, it would outsell Harvey Pinnock. And so I started on a napkin to scratch out 
first thing I wrote was, well, salespeople need to kick their own ass. So let's start that. Let's make that chapter one. And I penciled out everything literally at a lunch. Yeah. And I had chapter 12.5, resign your position as general manager of the universe and just concentrate in your own closet because it's pretty much dirty. Yeah. And I love that point five you do. I've never seen anyone do it where it's not another idea, but it's an idea that kind of connects the ones above it all together. Kind of like the glue the ones above, right? I refer to it as glue. The glue. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. And also a couple of things in the book. We'll just throw some ideas out and you could comment. One thing I learned from that book sure. is you have to train yourself. You're in charge of your own education. And then if you Correct. need gear, like I'm not Correct. waiting for my company to buy me a MacBook. I got to go buy my own MacBook. I need an iPad or I got to buy my own iPad, right? And Joey, I turned it into funny. Yeah. I said, listen, they sell computers at the computer store right now. Go to, and you have your own money now. Go invest in it. And the people are like whiny about, man, the company won't buy me shit. You know what? The company doesn't buy you shit. What are you going to do when your car runs out of gas? You're going to leave it at the side of the road? Oh, they wouldn't buy me gas? No, you yeah. buy your own gas. Yeah. And when you start doing things on your own, you become so self-sufficient yep. and so self-confident that you can do it anywhere. Yeah. I, you start off with the mindset, I'm going to kick my own ass, meaning I'm going to train hard and where the real world is going to be e easier, if not easy, because the stuff I put myself through is going to be harder than what I'm going to see in the field. And then I'm going to, I'm an eternal student, buy, if I need gear, I'm going to buy gear, no complaining. And then I love the preparation aspect of it. Prepare to win. I think you said prepare to win or lose to someone who is. And like that preparation. Yep. And that kills anxiety. I found out like I'm not a high anxiety guy, but if I ever do have it, it's mostly because I'm not prepared. And if when you prepare, you walk in self-confident. Yeah. Yep. And if you don't prepare, you walk in and you're like, well, you know, sorry, it took me so long to get here. It was a lot of rain and there was a lot of traffic. Like, Another thing of that book that I learned is you invest your time instead of spend it, where you can either watch Correct. like the sixth Netflix episode or you can prepare for the next day. You can either spend your time, invest your time, or waste your time. Mm -hmm. Two of the three are bad. You have to decide how you're going to invest your time. Now, at my age, time is my enemy. There's a classic quote. Somebody asked the Buddha, what's the biggest mistake people make? And the Buddha said, you think you have time. And I'm telling you, there's no bigger wake-up call on the planet. Mm -hmm. None. Yeah. So I've got books in me that I got to write, and I'll be doing them as fast as I possibly can. Yeah. I remember Tom Petty, I'm a big Petty fan. And he said once in an interview years ago, he goes, I got so much music in me. I hope I can get it out by the time I go. Like he's yeah. got so much. How about another it's one? It's all right if you love me. It's all right if you don't. Yeah, yeah. I love this one. If you can't get in front of the decision maker, you suck, right? You <laughs> suck. <laughs> just right. Right in your face. Just think about it. How hard can it possibly be? The guy comes to work in the morning in the parking lot. You find out what kind of car he drives. You hang out in the parking lot in the morning. The guy gets out of his car. Dude. Yeah. COVID killed a lot of access. And at least for the people that they don't perceive as valuable, there's some barriers up now. But if the main thing, if you don't have access, you got to get better. No, no, no. Yeah, here's the deal, though. Here's, 
friend of mine made these for me. They're balls, sales balls. And if you don't have sales balls, you ain't getting anywhere. Yeah. You can do, well, okay, well, think of us, you know, think of, think of, here's my literature. Please yeah. don't shred it until I leave. <laughs> it's, yeah. Just throwing random stuff at you here. One thing that I think I learned from your writing, your philosophy, that I don't think I would be as good as what I am now. Not say I'm good, but like I'm way better than I would be if I wasn't reading that stuff, is the power, focusing on the power of your questions. Where questions, I think if you gave me like a kid in 10th grade and say, Joe, go sell your medical devices that you're selling now. I would, I wouldn't do product knowledge. I do a couple bullet points just so they, I would say, here's the questions I want you to ask them. Here are these powerful, mostly engaging questions, right? Correct. So I'm going to give you, let me share two things with you. Number one, I, the first question I ask people I don't know is where did you grow up? Not where are you from? Where did you grow up? Which is what I asked you. Yep. And you go, I'm from Philly. And I go, oh, Philly. And then, boom. Yep. Because I'm volumes of Philadelphia. And we spent 15 minutes talking about Philly before we ever started to talk. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yep, absolutely. And and so the challenge for that is how do you not build rapport, but create shared values? Mm-hmm. We already have shared values. We've eaten at the same restaurants. We've gone to the same ball games. You are obviously are someone that I've helped along the way, taught, and it's this is a fun conversation. There's nothing contrived about it. There's nothing unreal about it. I'm going to be as real as I possibly can be with you because that's the only way to be in life. If you don't like it, there's nothing I can do about it because I'm not changing. Yeah. I'm not going to like. Well, you know. If your favorite color is red, that doesn't necessarily mean my favorite color is red. You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. And in sales, most salespeople, their favorite color is plaid because they don't want to piss off anybody. The one thing I found with questions is when you ask emotionally engaging questions, it makes them stop, think, and like reply in terms of you or, your, or what you're trying yeah. to help. You get to transfer emotions back and forth. And there's one quote. I, I heard you say this recently. You said, if you can't transfer emotion, you will always fight price. That's so on the money. I want to get people emotionally involved to where they don't give a shit about the price. Yep. But they have to perceive that I have the value. They have to perceive that I'm going to give them more than they're expecting. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, then I create reputation. And now reputation is online as much as it is on word of mouth. And I started out word of mouth. Now I'm online. And then when you get that emotion back and forth, we'll just keep going down the line here. Like you figure out their perceived, the real, what risk they have, like, why aren't they doing what they're doing now? And then the two questions I think I've asked the most to move the most sales forward in my career, you have this little one, two system and I teach it to my team and it freaking works every time. What's the risk? And then well, I start off with fair enough. Hey, I, I'll do this. You do that. Fair enough. Right. And if it's fair enough, sold, done, let's go. And if not, you go, what's Bingo. the risk? Right. What's Bingo. the risk? It works every risk? freaking time. What's that? Yeah. Works every time. It's amazing how salespeople do not do the simplest of things. There's the whole book on the complex sale. I'm sure the guy that wrote it's a brilliant guy. 
he's totally full of shit. There's no such thing as a complex sale. I go to the CEO. I go, do you like it? He goes, yeah. I said, you want to you run with it? Yeah. Well, let's get downstairs and talk to the people that think they decide. Yep. And that's another thing with your philosophy too, where it, it really helps if you're dealing with big institutions or you're big with big companies, you start at the top and then they just kind of work right. your way down and tell you what to do instead of starting with the gardener and the receptionist, which is important, but like they're not making million dollar deals. You start at the top and it just gets easy working your way down. But if you're going to cold call, then make them smile. So you walk into the receptionist and you have two choices. I'd like to speak to the person in charge of purchasing copy machines. You're dead. But you walk into the receptionist and you say, listen, I know you actually run the place, but I'd like to speak to the person that thinks they do. <laughs> Perfect. And they will laugh and you will get in. Why do you think that fair enough is so powerful? Like, like you just said, like, hey, I, I want to do know. this. It just works. I don't it's, know. It's not threatening it's, it's either. So, it's simple. Yeah. There's no complexity about it. There's no, well, if I do this, will you do this? Fuck you, dude. Either I want it or I don't. Mm -hmm. And your stupid closing question is not going to make me sway one way or the other. Yeah. What's it going to take to get your business? In other words, that kid's asking, how low do you want me to drop my pant uh, price to get this deal? It's no bueno. Yeah. And if you don't know what it's going to take to get the business, get out of there. Like, Bob, I was studying your customers. I was studying your business last night. I know exactly what it's going to take to get your business. I brought two ideas with me this morning. And if you like them, you run with them. Fair enough. Yeah, that's it. But yeah, it's fair yeah. enough. And you go to a customer who's doing like doing business with you and you say, hey, I have two new ideas I want to run by you. How wouldn't they meet you? Either on Zoom or live. Like I got two ideas for you and you run them by. Hey, I'll do this. You do this. Right. Fair enough. And if not, Wait, yes. I have two ideas where I have 27 slides yeah. to bore the shit out of you. Is that what you want to see? Yeah, I'll be right over. Yeah. And then speak about closing. The close, the way you approach it, it's the most overrated part of the process. Like if the close isn't happening, it's like you got to look at how prepared were you? Like how good were your questions? Right. How good were your it's ideas? It's not the close, it's the open. Yeah. It's totally the open. Yeah. If I open right, I'm on, I'll earn the sale. I don't have to close the sale. Yeah. They'll act. Like you said, they don't like to be sold, but they love to buy, right? So like you, you start right. Yeah, good questions. That is correct. Good, good, good yeah, ideas. Right, it's not going to right. Yep. And to think that you could not be prepared, your questions suck, you have no ideas, or the ideas are bad, you showed them your slide deck, and then you ask them, a, oh, let me close them. That's not going to happen, right? No, <laughs> ever. Or the guy's going to say, this really sounds good. Send me a proposal. And you go, okay, thanks. And you send a proposal, and they never talk to you again as long as you're alive. Because you, <laughs> you were a jackass. I think that guy died. The one cool thing, I you only use this once or twice, but it works where they took notes and they go, send me a proposal. What do you say that when they're taking notes? What do you say? What do you tell them? If you were taking notes, just let me sign the notes. Let's, Let's roll. Let's go, is man. That cool, is that cool or what? No proposal. Listen, I've done that a lot. And people are just blown away by the fact of how blunt it is and how yeah. much fun it is. I said, it's, really. You like this, all we need to do is pick a day to start. Fair yeah. enough. What's holding you back? 
What's the risk? What's holding you back? I'll do this. You do that. Fair enough. Andiamo, as we say in Italian. Let's go. Real quick, I just want to hit a couple of the ideas in the yellow book. I might use these the most, a couple of just simple, simple tactics. Why I think your work resonates with so many people in the sales world and the business world, just how simple and in, in your face it is. I love the one part of the yellow book. Thank you beats I'm sorry. I don't think I've ever said I'm sorry since I've read that, but I thanked a lot of people. Right? I F up. I make crazy. Go ahead. Talk about that for a second. Yep. I think- Most people say I'm sorry, and I view I'm sorry as a state of being. Like you're a sorry human being. You can apologize. I apologize, but I'm sorry is like the weakest statement you can make. Mm-hmm. If someone is complaining and you go, hey, thanks for telling me that. Um, you know, when something like that happens, it really pisses me off. And I'm the perfect person in this company to help you sit back and watch the sparks fly. Or you can say, well, our policy is we don't talk to people after they swear at us. You know, I mean, (laughs) go, go away, go away. Another simple tactic. I definitely use this. You, you call it drain your brain where you just, if you're, you're having a moment of like, holy crap, I'm getting overwhelmed. There's so much going on in life and work and kids and whatever. You just, I grab a legal pad and I just write everything yep. down in my head. If you talk about that. I yep. found that so helpful. I write everything down for two reasons. Number one, I don't want to forget it especially if I make somebody a promise. And number two, it clears my mind. Yeah. I don't have to think about it anymore. I don't have to, oh my gosh, I didn't do this. I don't have to worry about that. I got it written down. My mind is clear to create new answers. Mm -hmm. The more you write down, the easier it is for you to come up with ideas and resolve your issues. There's something about writing it down and just say, I, I have to do X. And you put that down on paper. Literally, I feel like I've tangibly took that out of my simpleton brain put it on paper and it's not bouncing in my head. And it's like, my brain is clear for like creativity come in and like usually solutions. But it's clear in. you come up with answers. But let, let me throw something at you for your listeners. I don't write it down anymore. I voice to text. Okay. And the reason I voice to text is I don't have to worry about if I'm on my keyboard going backspace, backspace, and yep. then put a, the new letter in there. I don't have to stop. I just, my flow is Perfect. I've written my last seven books, voice to text. Really? Yeah. Really? So you just speak into the, what, what program do you use for that? I use a program called Dragon for Mac. Okay. But you, you could, you can now use Google or Siri. Almost everybody has a recording program. Like Otter, you can voice into it and it types everything out. That is cool. And so there's no more writer's block. It's just, you can't get speaker's block, right? I don't have talker's block. Yeah, there's no talker's block. This is something I use with my team right now, the sales team I lead, is you have the thing, I know that versus how good am I at that? Where it's you tell salespeople, all the salespeople know everything. They've heard everything before. But like, I don't care if you heard this before. How good are you at that? Do you master this, right? I know you need a great voicemail and yours sucks. So how much do you really know? Your call is real important to me. No, it's not. So probably some asshole called you on the phone and you put him through the voicemail. Yep. So why don't you just be honest? Uh, you're probably a jerk. Uh, that's why you're in voicemail. I'll call you back in a couple of days. Thanks for the call. Bye. <laughs> I mean, you're not doing anything funny. You're just 
hanging out to dry. There's no one's calling you back to hear your voicemail. It's Monday, July the 21st, and I'll be in the office all day. I don't give a shit what you're doing, dude. <laughs> like, no one cares where you are. Like, oh, I'm in the office. I'm out of the office. I'm at lunch. Like, no one cares you where know, you are. What you need to do is I don't change my voicemail. I got, I have the three stooges on my voicemail that my buddy Steve Rizzo did for me. But if I was going to have a voicemail that I changed, I would have a quote every day. The great Jim Rohn said, if it's easy to do, it's easy not to do. The great Jim Rohn said, all the information you need to succeed already exists. The problem is you're not exposing yourself to it. When I grew up in Margate, New Jersey, I lived across the street from Benny Bengolf, who was a, a catcher. On the 1933 Gaudi card, he's the most expensive one. He's the number one card. He played for the Phillies and coached for the Phillies for years and had the after-the-game show. And he ended the after-the-game show with the same quote every time. To be a big leaguer, think big league. And I'm telling you, it is as profound as you can get. Because if you don't think you're big league, you're not. Yeah. You think it way before you become it. And one last thing from the yellow book I just love is, uh, I think you call it your three crazy rule. If three people don't tell you you're crazy, the idea is not worth that much. You, you speak to that? Many people are in direct selling, which used to be called network marketing, which used to be called pyramid scheme. And people wanted to independently make their own money called side hustle. They go to somebody and they say, hey, I just got involved in this thing and uh, it's it's this, this, and this. And if you do this and and the guy goes, you're crazy. So you go to your best friend. They say, Bobby, I just, I got involved in this thing and here's what it is. And you do this and you make this and you do this and this happens. And Bobby goes, you're crazy. You go to your mom. Mom. Mom, look what I'm involved in. I got this and this. And if I do this, I'm going to make all kinds of money. And your mother says, you're crazy. And you quit. Most people can't get past three. You're crazies. No one says the hell with you. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. That's where the magic is. After that third crazy. It really is. Even something as little as this podcast I started. I did it over COVID. I'm like maybe right around 60 episodes. Like three of different people. Are you crazy? Who's going to listen to you? Who's go- who's going to come on your show? Or like, you know what? Gonna- people will listen, Joe. People will listen. If the content's valuable, you'll get someone to pass it on to somebody else. We just hey. passed our three millionth download with my podcast. Yeah, sell or die, right? You and your wife Jennifer. Yeah, sell or die, and I do it with my wife Jen, and it's incredible. It's literally incredible. I met Jen once. I think you guys did a seminar in Philly yeah, yeah, yeah. years back. Uh, her and your dogs met yeah. all them. How has she affected your writing? How has she affected your work? Jen and I are the same religion. Okay. That helps because I don't have to explain anything to her about what our family traditions are or orientations. Yep. And because we're the same, it's like if you meet an Italian guy, you know exactly who his aunt is. Sure. Absolutely. Because you got the same ants going, no, Joey, you're so cute. Yep. You tell me somebody didn't call you Joey when you were growing up, and I'll call you a liar. Yeah, sure, sure. And so we have the same background. Both of our parents were in business. Yep. We're both competitive. 
We both sold in New York City. Yep. So we have very high compatibility and yep. very high mutual respect for the other person's intelligence. Mm-hmm. And that's where it goes. I think that there's that there's enough on the table where people disagree politically and they get divorced. So we're down the same rabbit hole. And that keeps us bonded in terms of we always have something to talk about. It's and awesome. there's never an argument about I like this or you like that. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Our philosophies are the same. And when you have that and that compatibility is there, then ideas flow. Yeah. The object of the game is ideas, not arguments. Arguments prevent ideas. To be respectful of your time, Jeffrey, just two quick fun questions wrapping up here. One, Jeffrey, sure. if everyone listening could take one thing away from everything we spoke about, what would it be? Love what you do or get out of it. Love what you do or get out of it. Awesome. How about... Because it- you're never going to get... You're never going to achieve fulfillment in your job. You're yeah. going to make a goal to make somebody else's goal. What yeah. kind of bullshit is that? Love what you do or get out of it. Totally makes sense. How about... If here's a fun question, if you could spend the day with any historical figures alive or dead, who would it be? Benjamin Franklin. How come? Smart, a hundred years ahead of his time, a writer, an inventor, lived in Philly, understood the program. Come on. (laughs) Got perfect. Last question. Jeffrey Gittimer. If- By the way, his his classic quote that no one knows. Yeah. Two can keep a secret if one is dead. <laughs> you might be Sicilian. <laughs> Jeffrey Gittimer, last question. If you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? I would pick a quote from my dad. Mm -hmm. It would be one of two quotes. I don't get ulcers, son. I give them. And in 1974, he said, you want to know the secret of inflation? I said, yeah. He said, earn more money. I think that is also, hey, Joey, it's also quoting my dad. Yep. Just. Think about that in, in context of what it is. It will always have significant meaning for me. Absolutely. Jeffrey, if our listeners are looking for you online, where can they find all your work? Just go to Gittimer.com. That's the easiest place to go. Okay. Cool. Yep. I'll put that in sell and die. I believe that the sales certification that we're doing right now is... Uh, gettimerlearning.com slash certify and that would help a ton of people get to that next level um i try to stay away from the word training because i consider it education i mean do you want your teenager to have sex education or sex training That's fair. That's fair. It's like, what you say? Like loyalty? Very fair question. 
That's like you're like loyalty and satisfied. What, what, what do you say sometimes with the loyal and satisfied? You'd rather your spouse be satisfied or loyal? Big <laughs> <laughs> loyal. Uh, that's so great. Right, I'm gonna. I'll meet you at the Reading Terminal when I come back to Philly. That is a deal, Jeffrey. Thank you for your work. Thank you for everything. Go Birds. You believe in Jalen Hurts? Thumbs up. Oh down. yeah. Oh yeah. He's he's a winner. We got receivers now. Let's go. Uh, maybe we'll have a running back. We'll see. But if we win the first four or five games, I'm going to go to the Monday night Washington game. Okay. I'm there. Let's go. The Washington, whatever they call them. (laughs) Thank you. Go birds, Jeffrey. I hope I'll see you in Philly sometime soon. And I appreciate your time, brother. Take care. Thank you for everything. My pleasure. You take care, Joey. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.